Welcome to HBTV. I'm Harry Binswanger, the HB in HBTV. Today we're doing Ask Harry, where it's questions from viewers. Some have come in from uh, past sessions, so I'm going to begin with that. Harper Campbell asks, has the reason Western civilization not collapsed yet Due to Ayn Rand, I think you mean, is the reason Western civilization has not collapsed yet due to Ayn Rand? No, Aristotle. There's, if you're turning around a battleship as the enemies of Western civilization want to do, it takes a long time to move the battleship around because it has such momentum. And right now there's an extra momentum. When I say right now, I mean for the last hundred years, <clears throat> there's been an extra momentum, the exponential growth of knowledge. Now, you know what exponential growth is, maybe, maybe not. It's growth that feeds on its own growth. So for instance, if you have compound interest on a loan, the loan, you are the lender now. The loan draws interest and that gets added to the principal. So now say it was $100 you loaned out at 10% interest. If it's compounded, that means that you now have 110 to loan uh, for the loan. And the next time you will have, what is that? Uh, $11 in interest, which will uh, be added to make 121 and then you get interest on that. So it's snowballing. It's growth that builds upon itself. Knowledge is that way because old knowledge builds on new knowledge. And the more knowledge there is, the faster knowledge grows. So it's a lot easier to make the next discovery, particularly technological discoveries, today than it was 300 years ago, and that was a lot faster than it was a thousand years ago. Uh, so it's the, the fact that uh, technology, well, let me back up, that knowledge grows exponentially. And we're at a sort of the inflection point where it really takes off. And technology is based on knowledge. So technology, uh, grows exponentially. And then there's a, uh, an additional fact. Technology itself aids the growth of knowledge that produces technology. What do I mean by that? Well, computers and the internet, that's a technological, right? But the amount of new knowledge that they make possible and the quickness with which you can get that knowledge is uh, amazing and is has completely speeded up the course of discovery. I think I mentioned this in another uh, chat answer, but the discovery of the vaccine, Biogen vaccine, once they got the DNA sequencing made possible by technology from China, where the virus was almost exclusively at this point in time, January of, of 2020. How long did it take Biogen to develop their vaccine, which became 
the Pfizer vaccine, Pfizer brought it. So how long did it take to get some of this uh, vaccine, the, the mRNA vaccine? Two hours. Normally, pre-technology, it would have taken two years just to come up with it. Now, there was a lot of slowdown because they had to test it, some of the testing being rational and some of it being irrational, meaning forced on them by the government. But uh, the actual discovery, which is what we're talking about, well, actually, that shows the microcosm, the two forces that are meeting. The pace of discovery is measured in hours. The pace of government approval is measured now in months for an expedited thing like the COVID vaccine. Otherwise, it'd be measured in decades. Most significant drugs that are submitted to the FDA take at least a decade to be uh, approved. And the FDA is part of the collapse of Western civilization. I call it the Federal Death Agency, because their sole mission is to stop people from using their own minds to take the substances that they want to take that they think can help them. And for a rational man who follows rational advice, it's only a barrier. So the rational being sacrificed for the fools who take snake oil. There's no validity to the federal death agency, the FDA. There should be no controls on any substance that's sold, whether it's marijuana or uh, cocaine, heroin, uh, crack, fentanyl, or uh, Moderna's virus or Pfizer's uh, virus vaccine or Pfizer's vaccine or any other substance. Substances cannot be illegalized. Actions, threats can be illegalized, but it's not a threat if I take a vaccine that's experimental. So uh, the, you have the two forces there, technology greatly speeding up the development of a vaccine and the bureaucracy making it not available for uh, until you know, hundreds of thousands have died because they have to be satisfied that it's safe and effective. They have to be satisfied. It's not enough that you're satisfied or you say, well, it may not be that effective, but let me try it. It was pretty damn easy to determine it was safe, contrary to the anti-vax people. It's completely innocuous and uh, is out of your body, the original uh, vaccine, as I understand, as I've read from people that I think are informed is, is a matter of days, a couple of days. So this idea of, you know, well, maybe it has long-term consequences. No, it doesn't. So anyway, the FDA had to be satisfied that, well, it'll, it'll be good. Why? Why did they have to be so? Why couldn't you take it and say, well, Moderna thinks it's good. Pfizer thinks it's good. I'm going to try it out. What have I got to lose? It won't hurt me and it might protect me from COVID. No, you're not allowed to do that. So there you have the forces of retardation and the forces of innovation meeting. 
And that is a big reason, the fact that there's both, not just retardation, that we haven't gone belly up in Western civilization yet. But stay tuned for the morning mail. Jose asked, did John know of 19th century historian John Clark Ridpath? Now he's referring to John Ridpath. John Bruce Ridpath from Toronto, Canada was a close friend of mine. He was an intellectual historian. Um, he did uh, great work on the evils of religion, on the evils of force, and on the development of individual rights and the bad intellectual pedigree of the antitrust laws. He did uh, stirring lectures on the history of America, particularly in the revolutionary period. And he died, I think it's now uh, just a year and a half ago that he died. Uh, uh, and um, the question is, there is this historian, he's John Bruce Ridpath, there's this historian, John Clark Ridpath, did he know him? I don't think so. I never heard John mention that. It's the kind of thing he might have well have mentioned and uh, he didn't, so I don't think he did. Five Below, Five Below asks, what do you think of Andrew Tate being banned across all social media and some banking apps all at once? And what future implications does this have for public discourse and freedom in general? I'm for it. I think the implications are good. Uh, I, think, I think from what I've read, I just read it to research for this session. And I've only read uh, you know, a little tiny bit. So forgive me if I've got it wrong, but he, was a, he is a, a misogynist. He said that women have to bear some responsibility for rape when they're raped, which is outrageous, disgusting. He is one of these false alternatives to the proper view of man-woman relationships. And uh, I'll get into that in a minute. But what you really want to know, what do I think about it being banned across all social media? I'm in favor of free speech. And that's why I support these bans. What did he say? Did, did you hear that? Yes, you got it right. I'm in favor of the right to free speech not being interrupted at all. And that includes the right to exclude from your property whomever you want for whatever reason you want. So whether it's a good reason or a bad reason, if it's your vehicle, if, it, if you own Twitter like Elon Musk will shortly, or your Zuckerman and uh, uh, Zuckerberg get for Facebook or whoever it is, and you don't want this guy using your resources, you have the right to exclude them and probably the moral responsibility to do so if it's something you know outrageous like this. Now I know that <clears throat> it's being done elsewhere to exclude anti-socialists reasonable people. That's the right of the owner too. And if I had 
social media, if I owned it, I would exclude communists from mine. So if you support free speech, you have to support the right not to finance ideas that you loathe and detest. And these are detestable things that he's talking about. So I think I'm being a little bit uh, combative because when you ask about the, what implications does it have for the future for public discourse and freedom in general, it might have bad implications because people don't understand what I just said. So for people who have what Ayn Rand called a package deal concept of free speech, it's viewed as censorship to not allow somebody to use your microphone. So that spills over. And if you say, well, that's, um, that's bad, the, you have to permit all views to be heard, then the government has to then censor or allow a censoring of their content. You, you, you put together in one package, force used to stop people on their own property and force used by the government to stop, well, it's the same thing, sorry. Let me, let me put it this way. If you don't get that you have the right to exclude from your property, that weakens your property rights and it weakens your right to promote your own ideas on your own property. So I wanna be able to say on this channel, I support laissez-faire capitalism. And the same mentality that would call it censorship if the owner ARC UK excluded me, would call it uh, force and violation of other people's if I'm allowed to say my ideas. The, if you have, don't have the right to not say, you don't have the right to say. So <clears throat> there's, um, there are possible bad implications unless this issue is straightened out. Um, and I don't think I was as clear on what I just said as I could be, but when you blur an issue, like the difference between government bans and private individuals ban, then it works out to help the evil and hurt the good. And that's because this is blurred, it's going to have bad implications in that way. So I was being a little aggressive or combative and saying, it has good future implications. It would have good future implications if people understood why it's the right thing to, uh, it's the right thing to do and the wrong thing for the government to stop you from doing. Now they ban, I mean, banning things that are disgusting like this. They ban things that aren't disgusting, but that's, they're right, but that's not a good thing. You know, you get the distinction, right? You have the right to do what's immoral. You have the right to do what's immoral, as long as it doesn't involve physical force used against other people. And words are not physical force, unless there's this. I'm having trouble connecting to the internet. It looks like she who cannot be mentioned. So try restarting them. 
uh, is horning in. I don't know if you can hear it, but my Alexa, I should disconnect. Alexa, stop. Alexa, stop. Boy, she can be annoying and helpful. Um, so I hope you get the distinction between rights exist to protect moral behavior, but they don't forbid immoral behavior unless it crosses the line into physical force. And uh, that's important here because I support the right to free speech, whether I agree with what's said or not, and you should too. I support the right not to promote ideas that you disagree with, whether you're right and rational to oppose those ideas as you are in the case of Andrew Tate, or you're wrong and irrational to oppose those ideas as when they, ba they ban some advocate of freedom. Now let's get to the psychological issue. That's of great interest. The opposite of the Kinder, Kuka, Kerka, old fashioned view, feminine mystique view of women, that's German for ch children, cooking and church as the proper sphere of women, they thought. The opposite of that old view is not that women and, and men are equal and that you should choose your own gender and gender is a social construct and patriarchy has ruined uh, people and all, all the modern uh, cancel culture, woke culture stuff. I don't agree with that either. I agree with Ayn Rand's theory that women and men are intellectually equal and they're morally equal, but in the sexual realm, the man is the initiator and the uh, prime mover and the act depends upon his will and it is proper that that be reflected in man-woman relationships. So it's not this, uh, I don't support the modern erasure or attempt to erase gender differences, but they're not moral differences and they're not intellectual differences. And I learned this from a woman Okay, let's go on. Oh, I, I was asked to announce, I'm happy to announce that at 9.45 p.m. UK time, which is 4.45 Eastern time or 1.45 Pacific time, Abortion is a Right with Harry Binswanger will premiere on the Briefly Objective YouTube channel. There's a link to it in the chat. Uh, Shazbat says, I'm from Russia. Should I learn math, math logic in addition to learning Aristotelian logic? You mean mathematical logic, like the predicate calculus and so forth. No, no, it's useless. It's Now, there's some fun to it. If you treat it like a game, you know, I learned it and they're, they're kind of puzzles, mathematical puzzles but it does not help thinking. Aristotelian logic does not help thinking very much. Really? Yeah, really. Because 
we already know it having grown up in a culture past the Renaissance. I'm just listening to a wonderful course of lectures by Keith Lockage on physics. And he's talking about how physics began with shepherds watching the night sky. Not just shepherds, but primitive people. That's where the first input to physical discovery came. And he makes the point very well, very good point that don't read back your modern perspective, which is an Aristotelian perspective, into the ancient cultures because they had no trouble accepting contradictory explanations. So they held that the stars were holes in a crystalline sphere that rotated and that the stars were lamps held by deities and that the stars were other things, the same stars. And they saw no problem with that. So Western civilization has internalized Aristotle's law of non-contradiction and Aristotle's syllogistic logic and Aristotle, well, no, I was gonna say a third thing, which is the best thing you could get from Aristotle. But I'll get to that in a second. They've in, we've internalized those things so that that couldn't happen now. But in ancient times, they did not seek an explanation that was consistent. They didn't, contradictions didn't bother them. And in India, in the 60s, this was still true. There was an article in Science Magazine about Indian children who said that lightning was caused by the discharge of electrical charge in the clouds. And lightning is the jangle of Indra's bangles as she dances. That being some goddess, if I'm pronouncing it right. And they didn't see any problem holding two contradictory views. This was published in Science Magazine, 1964. I have the copy. So um, we've internalized it. And the only thing that you can get some value from is this theory of definitions. Not only did he identify the axioms, not only did he identify the rules of syllogism, and they're quite complete, but he laid down the rules of definition, all of which are correct beginning with the definition is by genus and differentia. And you can look up what that is. For more helpful logic, read my book, How We Know, where I go into how Ayn Rand has taken the logic of propositions and the logic of arguments and added to it the logic of concepts. So she has added a third level of understanding to how logic works. For instance, there's Rand's razor. Concepts are not to be multiplied beyond necessity nor integrated in disregard of necessity. So there's a lot to learn, a lot to learn. Like I talked about package deals. She talks about stolen concepts, the fallacy of self-exclusion. She talks about a lot of things and I cover it all in my book, How We Know. It's only a small part of the book. It's two chapters out of nine, I think I have. So no, mathematical logic 
can be fun, but it's a waste of effort. Oliver asks, what is the, where is the line drawn when it comes to premeditated murder? Well, on the face of it, that's not a question that you should be asking. Lines being drawn, I'm, I'm gonna to get to the rest of the question. Lines being drawn go through a cloudy area. That is concepts do not carve out, most concepts, there are exceptions, but most concepts deal with the continuum and there will be gray areas. Between black and white, there's gray. Between day and night, there's twilight. But that doesn't erase the night and day difference between night and day. So Ayn Rand's epistemology accommodates difficulties in drawing the line. And the, you know, the standard example is, when should a child be treated as an adult? 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. You could make a case for any of those. And it's optional where you draw the line. You can't draw it at four. A four-year-old is not an adult. And you can't wait till 50. A 50-year-old is not an adult. But between 19, 20, 21, any number is as good as any other. So let me go on though. Where is the line drawn when it comes to premeditated murder? How do you create an objective standard of evaluations for that and lesser crimes? The lesser standard of evaluation, uh, I mean, those are two different questions. I could premeditate it has to do with how do you draw the line between he planned it in advance, he, he did it in a calm moment versus crime of passion, he was swept away, he lost it briefly and he lashed out, which is a, still murder, but it's a lesser offense than if somebody coolly sits around on a Friday and plans a murder he'll commit on Monday and then does it. So how far in advance and how much emotion has to be involved? Well, it's the same thing. You, there's a range where it's optional and it doesn't matter just as long as the government sticks to one. So you could say, if it's five minutes before, some people don't calm down in five minutes. If it's a day before, you can't say he was swept away. If it's five seconds before, clearly, then in other words, he's screaming in anger as he sees a man making love to his wife and shoots him because he has a gun on him. Clearly, that is not premeditated. He's never met the man, didn't know his wife. Clearly, that's not premeditated murder. So you just pick something that seems reasonable and stick to it. But the second part, how do you create an objective standard of evaluation for that in a lesser crime? The degree of damage to human life. That's the objective standard. Murder is at the top. Now, maybe you mean, how do you objectively decide that premeditated is worse, a worse crime than crime of passion? The degree of free will. For the same amount of damage that's done to the victim, if it takes a long period of evasion, and by long, I mean a day, couple hours, uh, that speaks of more evil and more design against, more indifference to human life 
than if you didn't keep it together under the heat of anger, which you should have done. You know, it's not true that you can get so angry that you uh, draw your gun and fire. That's not, that's still under your control. You, can, you can't get so angry that you won't be shaking and yelling, and, but you can get control of your not, let's see, do we have the picture going away? Let's make sure we don't, okay. That you don't kill a man. So it's still a wrong use of free will, but if it's a wrong use of free will over a longer period where it takes less effort to see that it's wrong and you don't wanna do that, that's more evil. So the degree of evil follows the degree of uh, free will involved. So those are two uh, standards that I think are objective. It's hard to apply them, but not killingly hard. Oh God, that was a bad pun, wasn't it? Daniel, <clears throat> and how are we doing on time here? And we got one more minute. I once read the following from a nativist slash behaviorist Odd mixture. Yeah, it's, it's maybe not. On Twitter, quote, you cannot prove physical dynamics with metaphysical evidence. Is there a stolen concept here? I'm reminded of Hume Comp. No, there is not. He's right. He's right. It's you who are leaping to a conclusion. You cannot prove that F equals MA or that the uh, gravity reduces this inverse square of the distance between the radii of the centers of mass by A is A. Now, when, you, when he says metaphysical evidence, he has in mind, I'm sure, that kind of thing. A is A, existence exists, consciousness is conscious. I mean, not those specifically, but basic philosophical axioms about there is law of cause and effect, that kind of thing. So take that when you cannot go from there is law of cause and effect to uh, heat flows from the cooler to the, uh, from the hotter to the cooler, which is thermodynamics. Uh, I'll take one more. Dr. Peikoff once said, this is from Baker, in a draft of the fountain that, in a draft of the fountainhead, Rourke had an affair while waiting for Dominique to come to his way of thinking. A no. What would this have said about Rourke that Rand did not want? I think you're misremembering that. I don't think I'm misremembering Rourke, but I'm not 100% sure. But what I recall, there was a girl named Vega whom he met before Dominique. I think he even met her at Stanton Institute of Technology where he was a student. I'm not sure about that. And it was over. He had an affair with her and it was over uh, by the time that Rourke came to New York. He visited her in New York. She was in New York being an actress, trying to be an actress. And he was in New York and they visited, but they didn't have relations. As I recall it, so what didn't she, uh, what about this did she not want? Uh, she just said, I think Rourke has enough romance. I'll tell you another thing um, on the man-woman difference. People, if you look at Ayn Rand's novels, 
the heroines, the women heroes, usually have more than one lover. Um, Dominique didn't. She's a special case. Uh, Kira had two, but she did it to save Leo's life. But Dagny had three men in her life. But the men didn't have different uh, heroes, didn't have different women in their lives. And I was asked by a friend, why is that? And then I said, it's because Ayn Rand was a woman. Imagine that you, if you were a man, that you're writing about oh, a detective novel and you want to use it to enjoy the story, you are going to have the man have different women before you have the woman that he loves have different men. So there's a, the difference of the sexes shows up there. You don't want to, the, the, the character that you yourself fall in love with, you don't want to see playing around or even having serious, because Dagny wasn't playing around, neither was Kira. You don't want to see multiple lovers. I mean, you wouldn't be totally against it if there's a plot reason for it, but it wouldn't be natural to you. And I think that's a sexual difference. Um, Daniel has asked me to say again at 9.45 p.m. UK time, 4.45, so in 10 minutes or so, whatever your time zone is, 4.45 Eastern time. Abortion is a Right with Harry Benzwanger will premiere on the Briefly Objective YouTube channel. Link in the chat. So uh, next time, I think I'm going to talk about a subject I talked about to my own subscribers to my uh, website and uh, email list, Force Versus the Mind. Because Ayn Rand's great contribution in um, politics, political theory, was the grasping the connection of force versus the mind. With that, I will say goodbye until next week.